The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. No one here is trying to provoke uncertainty with passengers. We also think the mask mandate should be in place. If not having a mask on is your preference and it makes you calmer on an airplane, I'm for calm right now. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. More aid heads for Ukraine, including airplanes, as Russia pours into the Donbass. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. We'll have the latest on the war and the call for America to do more. In a conversation with Congressman Ruben Gallego, Democrat from Arizona, member of the House Armed Services Committee, and a Marine Corps combat veteran who served in Iraq. Later, we follow President Biden to New Hampshire today, where he's touting infrastructure spending. But is anyone on the campaign trail listening. We'll talk about it with Dante Scala, the political sage from the University of New Hampshire. Our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, just like you were hoping, I would say. So President Biden leaves the bubble. Welcome to Sound On. Before heading for New Hampshire today, President met this morning with European allies on a secure video call from the Situation Room. With additional support for Ukraine and another round of sanctions on the agenda, they spoke for over an hour. Press Secretary Jen Psaki briefing today at altitude told reporters on Air Force One on the way to New Hampshire that the U.S. will continue to restock Ukrainian forces. Here she is. Certainly, we will continue to provide them more ammunition uh, as we will provide them more military assistance. There's obviously more money we can provide from the approved drawdown package, and the specifics of that are being worked through with the Department of Defense and our national security team. And a fascinating detail from today's Pentagon briefing. This is the stuff you listen to sound on for. Spokesman John Kirby making note that Ukraine now has more, as he put it, operable fighter aircraft than it had before fighter aircraft reporters of course quick to follow up recalling the whole flap over the the migs the fighter jets that poland offered to ukraine that as far as we know never arrived listen to john kirby in this back and forth with reporters so can you give us an idea of uh, uh did they received more and an idea of how many dozens? Uh, I would just say, without getting into uh, what other nations are providing, that they have received additional um, platforms and parts to be able to uh, to be able to increase their fleet size, their aircraft fleet size. I think I'd leave it at that. Platforms, platforms and and parts. What is, what is the platform? Platform is an airplane in this case. They have received additional aircraft and air, aircraft well, parts to help them, you know, get more, more aircraft in the air. Uh-huh. This ends up being a big story, right? They've received additional aircraft and aircraft parts. Kirby did not go any further with that. At least not yet, though, and as he mentioned, not speaking for other countries. So is it possible that one of our European allies, Poland or otherwise, got a couple of MiGs, a couple more MiGs into Ukraine. 
as they prepare for this terrible assaults in the Donbass. We assemble the panel for their take on this as we wait for Congressman Gallego to join us, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Uh, Rick, you're pretty savvy when it comes to this stuff. Would John Kirby have said that if they, you know, were they stripping or used MIGs for parts or something, or, or did they actually get something useful? Well, I think all of that's useful, and I think Admiral Kirby, this first time I've heard him actually pained to have to explain anything that's something yeah. from that podium uh he clearly didn't want to give away the story that there are new aircraft platforms uh <laughs> as he describes them and i i guess that's a, a navy explanation but uh the reality is that they're 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 obviously getting aircraft from somebody and and uh uh it's pretty clear it's not coming from us uh right. he pushed on that and uh or through an american base so i yeah. mean the, feasibly a european ally uh, pushed their own jets over the border. Yeah, and we and we know that we were the only ones. It seems in the NATO community that had an aversion to those to MIGs getting getting put into the theater for the Ukrainians. Uh, and we certainly know the Ukrainians need them and have yeah. the pilots and the capability of using them. So uh, that that was the a, a good new nugget today. Uh, and uh, and it's good that we continue to resupply them. But it's it's nice to hear others in the in the region are also doing their part to help support the war yeah. effort for the Ukrainians. Jeannie, are you getting nervous when you hear this kind of talk or is this exactly what we should be doing or they should be doing? It is exactly what they should be doing. You know, I am, you know, trying to remember here that platforms are now aircraft and airplanes. Yes, this is all a new language because um, I am not a military person. But, um, you know, I, I do think this is exactly what needs to be done. I mean, you just said it. There is a call to do more and to do more has to come not just from the U.S. It has to come from our allies. Um, and, and, you know, aircraft are, are going to be essential. What we're hearing now and I think, you know, the Joint Chiefs Chair, Gen General Milley, said, you know, we have to be ready for a long slog. This is going to look something like World War II, people are saying. So absolutely, as much equipment, aircraft as we can get over there or platforms, that's what's got to be done. There is the matter of rearming uh, the military as well. You give them all the, the shiny hardware, Rick. You have to give them stuff to shoot uh, with it as well. Will it grow more difficult as as missiles hit places like the Lviv? We know that the the east is is under a major assault, uh, and of course the south is as well. Will will our supply lines grow more strained as this carries on? You know there are reports coming out that things are backing up in Lviv, which is one of the entry points that a lot of our supplies are coming through. And you can only imagine how challenging the supply Absolutely. chain is to try and get equipment uh, to the front. Uh, you know, which would be described, as you say, as the, the South and the East. Uh, but, uh, you know, those things are p things that certainly the U.S. military knows well how to uh, manage and, uh, and hopefully are in concert with the Ukrainian military to try and break through some of that. But it, 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 would, it wouldn't be a surprise to anybody that with the amount of material that both we and other ally uh, in the, and partners in the region are, are mm -hmm. putting into the Ukraine, uh, that it, it, it could get backed up. Uh, that being said, um, uh, I haven't heard any complaints right now from the Ukrainians. So, so far, at least that's not something that seems to have made its yeah. uh, way into the public domain. Jeannie, Vladimir Putin has threatened uh, or, or at least opened the door to potentially attacking supply lines if he knows that Western hardware, particularly American military hardware is flowing over the border, reserving that right. And I read today that in this latest package, $800 million worth of military hardware that we're sending there, we've talked about it, among 
the 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 items are these massive howitzer cannons that they, you know shoot twenty five miles away. Uh, we have to train them on this, and it, apparently howitzer training is about to begin. Americans are going to have some select guys from Ukraine cross the border. This will not happen in Ukraine, presumably Poland, Romania, not sure, and then send them back to train everyone else. The more this type of activity happens, does that draw Vladimir Putin to potentially attack activity countries outside of Ukraine? You know, I think it does. But on the other hand, you know, this is somebody who will attack when he wants to attack. So, you know, we've been walking this very careful line. You know, we can't do this because it may incite Vladimir Putin. Well, he is destroying Ukraine, civilian targets all over Ukraine. I mean, they describe it as hell on earth in Maripol. And so, yes, we do need to get training for the Ukrainians on the howitzers. That's what's got to be done, whether we have to do it in Ukraine or outside. I know we're being careful in doing that, but I am not so I, I am not convinced that that's going to you know incite Vladimir Putin any more than anything else because he's going to find excuses to do exactly what he wants to do, yeah. which is take Ukraine. I'm sure that they'll they'll do this very quietly, Rick. But does it make you nervous the idea of taking members, potentially leaders of the Ukrainian military, taking them out of the country to spend some time with Americans? Well, they've been doing that since this war began and even prior to that while they were in Ukraine. So the U.S. training Ukrainian uh, regulars is not anything new. But I would say that 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 if Vladimir Putin uh, uh, throws a bomb into Poland, a NATO country, uh, he's bought himself a world of hurt from NATO that he currently does not have. And and so I, I would I would estimate that that it is a significant escalation, maybe beyond his ability to control the outcome if if he attacks any site outside of Ukraine at this stage. Yeah, well, of course, we like, as, as you said, Jeannie, we just don't know exactly what to expect here with our panel, uh, Rick and Jeannie Bloomberg politics contributors on Bloomberg Sound On and an interesting conversation lasted over an hour today. Uh, with our allies, Joe Biden, on the secure call before he took off to go to New Hampshire. Uh, Jeannie, are you expecting another round of sanctions? Maybe a better way to say this. We know there is one coming. Is there more that's going to count? Well, that I think that's the big question. You know, we have to put pressure. The one thing we have to do right now as we move into this quote unquote long slog is we have to cripple the Russian economy. And that means not just the United States, obviously, but with our NATO allies. If we cannot do that and they mount this World War II like offensive in the eastern Ukraine, you know, that is going to just last until they take what they want and maybe try to go for the whole thing. So crippling the economy is critical sanctions are going to be the way to do it but whether it's enough is it's still an open question it, it, more oligarchs aren't going to get it done here though rick right what's the next shot that's going to actually hit vladimir putin you know i think that he has both internal issues right we know the resistance is mounting and we know his economy is crumbling so he's got those to manage uh and and he has to constantly show that he can win this thing and of course there's some pressure around his mayday celebrations you know the anniversary right, of the victory yeah. that he wants to be able to announce he's won and it <laughs> doesn't look like he's getting there not likely uh although there are concerns about what that might inspire him to try doing rick and genie will be back our panel for the hour on Bloomberg Sound On, I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. An important conversation ahead with Congressman Ruben Gallego, Armed Services Committee, Democrat from Arizona. His take on this idea of sending aircrafts to Ukraine. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.
You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It may be military speak, but platforms and and parts is meaningful today. We now know what that means thanks to Pentagon spokesman John Kirby. If you're just joining us on Sound On, welcome. He made clear to the briefing room today that a country unnamed has delivered new platforms and parts to Ukraine. Here he is to explain. Platforms and, and parts. What is, what is platform? platform is an airplane in this case. I, I'm, I, they have received additional aircraft and air, aircraft parts to help them, you know, get more, more aircraft in the air. Important as part of a conversation about the U.S. directing military aid to Ukraine. And we're joined, as we told you, by Congressman Ruben Gallego, a Democrat from Arizona, member of the House Armed Services Committee, served as a combat Marine in the Iraq War and brings us his unique perspective today on Sound On. Congressman, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for holding uh, do you know anything about a transfer of fighter jets to Ukraine? Do I agree with the transfer? I'm sorry, you broke up a little. Yeah, do you know anything about a transfer of fighter jets? Do they have jets now, according to the Pentagon, they didn't have a couple days ago? I don't know more than what you know right now. Not that it's not a classified issue, but just more along the lines of, you know, not being in session right now, we're not getting all the information. Yeah. But I certainly agree with the, uh, uh, the you know, I agree with the, the movement. I think it's important that we arm Ukraine uh, for it to defend itself. Uh, and, I, and that should include uh, weapons such as and platforms such as uh, jets. Apparently, they've got their hands on some here. And I know that was one of the big asks from President Zelensky. Bring us the fighter jets. How, Congressman, could that help Zelensky's forces in the fight in the Donbass? Well, the biggest, uh, really the biggest problem that uh, Ukraine has is that they're very good fighters when they're close up or when there is a kind of a, a choke point in terms of uh, areas uh, of supplying convoy. So, you know, they'll be able to ambush them, uh, you know, in through forests. They'll be, ambushed, be able to ambush them in cities. Yeah. What you're dealing with in the Donbass area, unfortunately, is, you know, some very big plains uh, that are very open. Uh, in that regard, it's going to be easier for the Russians to use their superiority, superiority when it comes to air power and to artillery. Mm-hmm. And so the way that it, this war will be conducted is that first the artillery fires will start, then the jet fires will go to suppress whatever's still uh, moving around, and then they'll move up with tanks, and then they'll move up with the infantry. And this is the Russians I'm talking about. Yeah. By us supplying them jets, and, and their own artillery, as well as radars to actually counter the artillery, not to counter up to know where it's coming from. You know, Ukraine's going to be able to, to have some level of, of evening of the playing field where they're going to be able to also hit those targets and hit those uh, artillery pieces that are usually 20 to 40 miles away. Uh, and it'll take away the, the, take away the advantage that the Russians have and, and, and make them force, basically force them to fight mm-hmm. uh, closer and closer uh, to the Ukrainians which favors the Ukrainians because they are at this point better disciplined uh, and they know the terrain, which is extremely helpful when it comes to type of fighting. I know there's a shrinking window of opportunity to get the right weapons into Ukrainian hands here as the Russians bear down in the east and the south. Zelensky and others say they are not often arriving fast enough. And I'm sure you've heard this uh, when you have this conversation on the Armed Services Committee, Congressman. What are the obstacles to getting this gear into the country? And this has been a problem since I started working on this issue last year. Uh, part of it is just pure bureaucracy. Uh, you know, we, we've been able to bring that window down from weeks uh, to a week and now sometimes to a day. Mm-hmm. Some of it is just logistics. It's not easy moving 
a lot of these uh, weaponry and ammunition. You have to make sure you have the right planes. You have to make sure when you land them, there's someone to pick them up and someone to distribute them. And when you're dealing with, uh, obviously, planes, you have to make sure that, you know, someone is able to fly it uh, to wherever it is going. So a lot of it is, uh, uh, at first, I would say, was the bureaucratic nature of this. Uh, And now it's just more of the logistical nature of it, uh, which I think we're getting down to a, a closer timeline that is going to be uh, you know, that's going to be effective uh, for Ukraine. Yeah, the clock is ticking. Congressman, you mm-hmm. you saw deadly combat as a Marine in Iraq, some of the most intense fighting of the war, as you described in your book, they called us lucky. Uh, how do you respond to calls like we heard last weekend from Senator Chris Coons to start the conversation about the possible use of ground troops in Ukraine? If this goes off the rails, if there's use of a nuclear weapon or something on that level, Look, I think, uh, you know, I respect Senator Chris Coons, but right now I just don't believe that we should have U.S. troops uh, involved uh, in uh, Ukraine. When we get to that point where there is a low-yield nuclear weapon that's used or, or maybe some other lines that are crossed, I think that's the conversation we're going to have, and we're going to have to have it with the American public. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to have to go through the process of actually introducing, in my opinion, uh, our, you know, authorized use of military forces articles. We're just not... We're not going to do the same mistakes we did with Afghanistan uh, and Iraq, where we're just going to give blank checks. The public won't stand for it. It's a bipartisan opinion. Uh, and I think we'd be better off if we're actually understanding what we're fully committing to, because you don't want to see ourselves have a mission creep uh, into a world war. Uh, I think it would be disastrous for the world and certainly for the American uh, public. I'm sure the pressure will only increase as atrocities continue in Ukraine. Would would you consider a use of force authorization uh, to have the opportunity to put guardrails on the use of troops? You know, I before I even put a, a use of military force, I'd have to see and, and see what the compelling interest to our national interest yeah. uh, for us to even involve, uh, you know, uh, troops uh, at that level. Uh, so I'm not for putting an AMF with guardrails because that essentially is telling uh, potentially people how to get around the guardrails. Uh, this is something that we have to take very seriously. We have mm-hmm. to study uh, and we have to really you know, talk to the American people and they understand what we're getting ourselves into. This is not going to be a slow war. Uh, yeah. If we get ourselves involved, we could be there for years. And, Sounds and like it's not happening anytime soon. Congressman Ruben yeah. Gallego is looking forward to it. Appreciate your insights and your perspective today on the fastest hour in politics. We turn to New Hampshire next, the Granite State and the President's. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. President Biden back in New Hampshire today, Portsmouth, New Hampshire to be exact. Very, very pretty this time of year. Very quaint, I might add. And home to the New Hampshire Port Authority and Navy Yard. Both getting big upgrades, billions of dollars in investments from the infrastructure law. Here's President Biden today at the podium. And this port is a perfect example. A lot of important things come into these terminals, and particularly this one. From salt to de-ice roads to 85 percent of the home heating oil used in this state. 
And a lot of important things go out of this port as well, like the massive reactor assemblies for nuclear power plants that are manufactured by Westinghouse Electric here in New Hampshire. Recently, this port has been an important link to more construction equipment and materials for a $2.3 billion project that I've authorized in Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. $2.3 billion, but it wouldn't happen without you all okay. and what you've done. Friendly crowd. The shipyard, by the way, important stuff, if you're not familiar with that area. The very specialized work done there to, to maintain and upgrade our fleet of nuclear submarines, Virginia class. They do that stuff up there. It's right on the line with Maine. And it's the second time he's been to New Hampshire in the last few months. Remember, he went up to Woodstock uh, for uh, a bridge event, infrastructure. That's where we get to things with Dante Scala, political science professor at the University of New Hampshire. Dante, welcome. Welcome back. It's great to have you. Uh, what's your take on the, the, the second visit? My goodness, most states don't get one in a president's first year. Why New Hampshire, if not more than Hassan and Pappas? I mean, New Hampshire is, you know, the quintessential swing state. And in midterm elections, really dating back now almost a couple of decades, it swings an awful lot, like a like a gate in a, in a hurricane wind. And yeah. typically, it blows against the party in power. So you've got in this state, uh, Senator Hassan coming up for her first uh, bid for re-election as a U.S. Senator after being governor. Uh, and... Right now, it doesn't appear as if she's on, you know, the front line in terms of vulnerable Senate Democrats. But come September, she could easily be right there mm -hmm. if the overall political environment doesn't improve for President Biden and for the Democrats. So this was a midterm election cycle event today. He's reminding people of the work Democrats did. He specifically called out Senator Hassan. Congressman Pappas is being critical to passing the infrastructure law, which I guess you could say about any Democrat, uh, as opposed to trying to boost his own approval ratings, don't they? Well, I'd say it's a twofer. Uh, certainly, Biden is trying to polish his own credentials, claim credit for what he's done so far in his term in office. And obviously, the infrastructure bill is you know, front and center to all that. And he's also trying to lend a hand to his fellow Democrats because, you know, these days what affects the president is going to affect everyone in the same party as the president. It's really difficult these days for an incumbent like Maggie Hassan to have a lot of advantage from being an incumbent. Uh, her fate is tied you know, more so than previous generations, her fate is tied to the reputation of her party and the reputation of President Biden. So I think, you know, sure, Biden is looking toward 2024, perhaps, when maybe he runs for re-election, but he is trying to lend a hand to Democrats now, too. Is she as threatened now without Chris Sununu to run against her? I noticed that uh, Mitch McConnell's uh, political action committee was not directing money uh, toward that race. I mean, is this is this not a, a tough one for Republicans? It's it's tougher without Governor Sununu. That's certainly true, but it's certainly plausible. And again, we'll have to wait till the fall to find out. But it's certainly yeah. plausible now, looking at the state of the economy, rising inflation, gas prices 
Ukraine. Uh, a lot is being put at Biden's feet, and so a lot of blame is being put at the president's feet right yeah. now. And what if, uh, you know, the president has a cold, uh, Senator Hassan could easily have pneumonia, political pneumonia, come fall. And if that's the case, it might not need, the Republicans might not need an A-list candidate like Governor Sununu. They might be able to suffice with, say, uh, you know, a B-list candidate, someone who appears to be a plausible U.S. senator to voters who are discontented with the status quo. So I think national Republicans are taking a wait-and-see attitude. We won't know who the Republican nominee is until September. Well, it is New Hampshire, after all. These things happen. Uh, Dante, how's Joe Biden doing in New Hampshire? Uh, his approval ratings in a lot of polls nationally are, are deep in the 30s. Is it that desperate in the Granite State? It's better than that. My colleagues at the UNH Survey Center uh, just posted a poll that showed Biden's job performance at 47 percent. So that's that's a bit encouraging. Uh, yes, but and, still underwater in New Hampshire. But still underwater. Right. Exactly. And I think what, you know, for Senator Hassan, you know, what the, the formula here is he has support among Democrats, obviously, but Republicans are almost unanimously against him. And that's one concern in a midterm that, you know, your party's for you but your opponents are more energized against you. But then you look at those independents, right, people who self-identify not as either party, and he is not only below 50%, he's below 40% among independents. And that's the right. double whammy. That's right. That your party's not as energized, and independents are looking to throw you out of office. Or, makes or life pretty difficult thing, to do throw a Democrat answer. out of office. Absolutely, not in, not in that state. Of course, then again, we remember him crawling out of the primary it was supposed to be his exit interview when I spoke with him that day. And, of course, then South Carolina happened. Dante, it's great to talk to you. Let's stay in touch as we make our way to November. Political science professor at the University of New Hampshire. Hey, we may have news on the mask mandate. The White House going to sue over this? We'll reassemble the panel next on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Don't burn your masks yet. Oh, you did already? As the Secretary of Health and Human Services indicates that the administration may well appeal the ruling on the mask mandate, airplanes, trains, planes, trains and automobiles. Secretary Becerra, as I read in the tweet from Caitlin Collins of CNN, says the Biden administration will likely appeal the decision overturning the mandate. Quote, we are right now in the process of deciding and we will likely appeal that ruling. Stay tuned, unquote. As I mentioned to you, reporters in the air today, Air Force One on the way to New Hampshire, where Press Secretary Jen Psaki gaggled, as we do use on a verb on this program, when not at the White House. Here she is. Step, next steps, including the Department of Justice, uh, traditionally following court decision, that can take a couple of days. So not yet, but stay tuned. They were clearly caught a bit off guard by this ruling yesterday, and they're still putting the pieces together as we reassemble our panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. Jeannie, the first thing I think when I hear appeal is, number one, the political risk that will come with this in a midterm election year. I realize standing by principle, 
But we saw images, we saw video of people cheering on airplanes when the announcement was made. They cheered, they smiled, they took selfies. Imagine being on the plane when the announcement is made that the mandate is back on. Yeah, and you know, it's fascinating because the White House, they were caught flat-footed, but you have to step back and say, how? This wasn't, you know, um, something that dropped from heaven. It was a court case. We all knew it was coming. (laughs) There was a decision that was going to be made. It was made, and I tried to be patient yesterday as they said they will provide an update soon. Well, now we're 24 hours later. As you mentioned, people cheering as masks are removed, and they still are thinking, you've got a Health and Human Services Secretary say there's likely to be appeal. Joe Biden is out there saying it's up to us to decide what to do chaos reigns i'm in new york we're on public transportation you need your mask that's right other places you don't this is no way to make public policy and i appreciate a judge made a decision here but the white house could have issued a stay or asked the court to issue a stay rather or appealed right away we are now 24 hours later how do you pull back from that at this point i'm not and sure you can you can't and by the way what does this say about the cdc in the future how does it combat the spread of disease when their legitimacy has been undermined by this and the White House isn't standing up for them. Rick, what's the White House uh, uh, concern about other than, you know, people getting sick? I realize this is what it comes down to with COVID, but, you know, the idea uh, that they somehow turned away from science. My God, uh, the the chaos that will ensue, you're going to have, forget what flight attendants have gone through until now. This is going to be like a war in the skies with half the plane refusing to wear a mask. Yeah, look, I mean, this this judge has really scrambled the eggs for this administration and only <laughs> two weeks to go before this this mandate was going to expire anyway. Right. And so it does really catch the administration with their pants down. And and I think Jeannie's right is that they've been really slow uh, to respond. Look how quickly the airlines responded. OK, no mask for planes taken off within the next well, hour. That's right. I mean, you've they got were all right the major carriers yep. have respond. Amtrak, they're done. Uber is done. I realize the MTA is not uh, in this case, Jeannie, but Rick, uh, I mean, this could be this could be a major security problem trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, I don't think it's I wouldn't say it's a security problem. Nobody would be in their right mind if at this point with with the federal case that's already been decided and CDC preparing to probably lift this mandate nobody's going to break their pick on a mass mandate at this point, right? How'd you like to be the last guy to serve time at opposing a mass mandate? <laughs> I guess uh, that's true. And so so I think this is what the White House is grappling with. I guarantee you their phone calls are into the CDC saying, look, if you're going to extend this deadline yeah. past May 3rd, you need to tell us now <laughs> because right. we can't be caught with appealing this thing at, in, in a week later, you guys withdrawing the mandate. And so- this administration, this is exactly what happened with Title 42. The CDC pulled that thing from them. They spent a couple of days trying to figure out what to say about it. And to this point, they've done nothing to try and improve that situation. And this is the same thing. Hmm. I mean, this administration is letting its government run the business of government, and they are seemingly the victims more than the managers. Secretary Becerra was at a news conference <laughs> when he made that remark today, urging people to continue to wear their masks nonetheless. And that's that's the kind of confusion we're talking about here. I would not want to have to be the person leading that hearing. I wouldn't want to have to be the airline either, having to turn on a dime after telling everybody that the, the age of masks is over. I want to ask you both on the panel here about Article 3 of the 14th Amendment. I know that uh, this may not be typical conversation, but it's in the news. 
As Bloomberg Law carries the byline Taylor Green Insurrection Challenge cleared by U.S. judge. Pretty remarkable and could be precedent setting for others who have faced similar accusations. This is a voter challenge to none other than Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. Her eligibility to seek re-election can continue, according to a federal judge, potentially giving Georgia state officials access to information and testimony about the January 6th attack on the Capitol that has eluded members of the panel investigating it. Marjorie Taylor Greene reacting to this. Talked to Tucker Carlson on Fox about it last night. Here she is. I have to protect myself. I have to go to court on Friday and actually be questioned about something I've never been charged with and something I was completely against. And so this is how far it's going. These leftists, these progressives who would rather want, they'd rather have the judge or bureaucrats making decisions instead of voters. They want to hand that over to them and not let the people in my district to ha even have the right to vote for me. But no, the Republican Party needs to fight harder, Tucker. I'll tell you, uh, the judge denied Green's request for an injunction here would have blocked a judge from holding a hearing to determine whether Green took part in an insurrection. Uh, Article 3 of the 14th Amendment bars from any office any official who swore to protect the Constitution and then engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same. Rick Davis, could this be precedent setting for others who have been wrapped up, who have been uh, called to testify and accused of similar offenses uh, by members and specifically the Gen 6 committee? Sure. Uh, watch this space when the January 6 committee reports out uh, their their findings, uh, which should come soon. Uh, it, it might raise the question on a number of existing members of Congress who supported an insurrection. And if, according to, as you say, Article 3 of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, uh, if you support an insurrection, you, you, you can't be a member of Congress. And, and that's the problem that Marjorie Taylor Greene finds. You know, she's dug herself a hole for the last, you know, year talking about this and defending it as a peaceful protest and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But the, the bottom line is, you know, she could wind up off the ballot. It's not going to make a difference in whether a Republican represents that district. Sure. It's a, it's a 70% Republican district, but, but she can fall prey to an existing statute in the constitution that, that from what I can tell, she's done everything she could to try and uh, violate. Of course, she's been stripped of her committee assignments Jeannie, this provision has not been invoked since 1919, I read on the Bloomberg Congress, that you refuse to see a member convicted of spying for Germany. This is the level uh, that we're talking here. Could this end careers? It absolutely can. And, and, you know, hallelujah for the resurrection of the Clause 3 of the 14th Amendment that nobody talks <laughs> who, about who knew, until... <laughs> yeah, who knew? Um, you know, let's just reflect on what she had to say last night uh, on Fox News. She's yeah. talking about voters, you know, not being able to vote. Well, let's not, let's not forget what happened was voters who are eligible to vote in Georgia are the ones who challenged. They raised the challenge. That's oh, what Georgia law allows and they are allowed to do this and what she was asking for is relief so she doesn't have to go to court on friday i'm curious to see what they find on friday whether they find indeed that this is something that has you know the meat that would require moving forward on this they may not but it's absolutely the voters of georgia who have been heard on this who are mm -hmm. challenging her ability to hold this seat so that is i think the judge was right on that score they have the right to be heard she couldn't this was 
was such a burden on her that she couldn't show up on Friday. Wow, yeah. So Friday is the hearing. Rick, this is the this is the way it, it politics cuts both ways. If you want to be a political celebrity, in this case an infamous, I guess I don't know, political villain to some, but 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 a, a household name like like Marjorie Taylor Greene to the point where people call you MTG, you have a hearing on a Friday like that, it's going to make news. Yeah, and it's exactly what you described. I mean, she thinks of herself as a celebrity more than I think a member of Congress. And and so the things she does are to try and make press and got an impact in the media. And and she's done so many outrageous things. She doesn't even have any support with her own caucus in the House of Representatives. So there won't be a there won't be a tear shed on Friday if she wow. winds up getting put through the grinder on this. But look, I mean, it's a big deal to take somebody off a ballot. It would be a long shot to think that this was going to work for her. But at least she's being held accountable for some of the things she said and done since the January 6th attack on the Capitol. And it will generate some journalism here. Uh, is it a long shot to have her off the ballot, Jeannie? I, I do think it's a long shot. And, you know, quite frankly, I would rather have it go through Congress. One of Congress's powers, they control their members. They could take her out. As we have seen in history, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are signature panel on the fastest hour in politics and always a pleasure to spend an hour with these two. We'll be back with more tomorrow, of course, right here on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We'll meet you on Wednesday. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.